0: Uh, very abruptly, after leaving the spin in one direction, entered a spin in the other direction. So it was rather difficult to control. But then we came up with a a, a different method.
1: This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast, coming to you from the Mid Atlantic region here in the United States, and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and our guest, pilot.
2: Thank you, Michelle, and thank you for everything you do for us here on the pod. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for joining us here. Happy to have you with us for episode 112. Now, a lot of you have interacted with us on social media the last couple of days asking about that very unique glider we posted a picture of. Well, our friend Tom Cousins is here, and he has a lot more info on that, so I will let him take it from here. Tom?
3: Well, thanks, Chuck. Uh, this, I'm Tom Cousins, and I'm really glad to be able to uh, discuss uh, the uh, AKX glider with Dominic Pepe, who is the project manager at uh, uh, Akafleek Karlsruhe in Germany. And so we have all kinds of things to talk about here. It's going to be a fascinating uh, discovery of a, of a glider that I find amazing. I, with my ba- background in uh, aeronautical engineering, and uh, model aviation and full size aviation. Uh, I have the uh, the view of the uh, of the AKX is amazing. So, uh, welcome Dominic. Thanks so much, Tom. Really glad to be here. Oh, super, super. So tell me first of all, or tell us actually,
0: uh, what what is an Akafliek? Um So yeah, AKAFLEK. I mean, name already sounds sounds a little strange. It's it's a German. <laughs> it's uh, it stands short for Ak- Akademische Fliegergruppe, which translates to Academic Flight Club. And there are a couple of those in Germany, 10, to be precise. And so in one part, they're a normal, uh, like gliding club, but they're also a student club. So they're totally comprised of students who are, you know, who are keen to, to learn how to fly, but who are also keen to get their hands dirty and, you know, get the, the whole theory of, of flying and gliding and, and building planes. Um, So our motto is kind of like uh, researching, building, and flying sailplanes. So we do the whole thing from the ground up. And we have this, you could call it like like a cycle of uh, researching concepts, then building them, uh, taking them up in the air, flying them, and seeing what works, what doesn't, iterating, and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of trial and error, and it's a great starting off point if you're interested in aviation and gliding and I, I personally think it's 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 really awesome because there are so many freedoms it allows you to do so much stuff and, and you can experiment without any risks so yeah that's pretty much what what Akaflick is about
3: <laughs> uh-huh so it's attached to it's actually attached to a university in Germany
0: yeah sort of it's it's not like an official uh. part of the of the university but we are a recognized student club. Most AKAFLEKS, or at least we do, we get the we get a building from the university, which is very nice of them. <laughs> um, yes, but, and yeah, we, we cooperate with uh, with many faculties and and stuff like that. But yeah, we're we're still we're completely independent of the university itself. So we can do whatever we want.
3: Oh, that's marvelous now. So, so, but uh, because it is actually, as you say, it's a kind of an independent function of a university do, do uh, the members, the students actually obtain school credit for their participation?
0: No, we don't, unfortunately. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it would be nice if we did, but um, there's, yeah, there's many, uh, there's still many opportunities where, where it kind of, you know, harmonizes I'd say where maybe you can, can write a thesis for your studies and have that be on an acarflig topic, but other than that, we don't get any credit now.
3: I see. Okay. What is a nice thing then is that the students uh, more are are interested just because they really want to do this as opposed to filling in a, a checking off a box or something like that. And yeah, that's excellent. Um, so, so tell us um, briefly about you, yourself as relates to flying and how you became involved in the, the AKX project.
0: Um, all right. So I started off 2012 with gliding. Um, that was in a normal club and got my license 2015. Well, and actually in, in 2015 as well, I, I had an internship at Champert in Germany ah. and that was, that was the first time I actually heard about AKX. <laughs> wow. So, okay. I was, uh, so I already, before I started my studies, I was, I was like very keen to get into it and, and looking forward to it. And, yeah, 2015, I moved to Karlsruhe, started uh, mechanical engineering. And yeah, even before my first day at, at uni, I uh, I visited uh, the ACA Fleek workshop and yeah, I was hooked from there. And then, you know, over time, responsibilities grow and stuff. And now, I don't know, for maybe, maybe two years or so, or two years back, that's when I uh, took over as project manager.
3: Uh-huh. So when will you graduate from uh, from the university?
0: <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, difficult to answer. I'm 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 very very likely next year. So 2023. <laughs> so now now it's easier to say in January. I can say yes, next yes. year, and it feels like it's not so far away. <laughs> yeah, very true.
3: <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, that's that's great. So. So here's a, you know, kind of a question, designing and building um, a new aircraft, and that's what you guys are doing. It's it's a very complex process. And in your particular case, too, looking at the videos. Um, so, you know, the the thing about it is that hands-on skills are gained during construction. That's, you know, that's how you do it. I mean, I've built a lot of things in my life, and you learn how to do things. So how does Akafleek maintain yeah. uh, progress when members are continually entering and exiting the program as they enter college and then and then graduate? it's a big challenge
0: at times for sure um, but yeah as you said it's it's all learning by doing like we don't learn the stuff at university we do or like at least 90% of it we don't learn at university especially the hands-on stuff of course so it's um, yeah it's 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 mostly passed on over the generations we try to have like some 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 short internal courses if you if you like but uh, at the end of the day it's it's you got to get in there and and put in the hours and yeah, if enough people do that, then the knowledge sticks around and if people get lazy, then it gets lost. (laughs) But yeah, we, yes, yes. We can, we can, at most times we can, we can manage to write, or we, if we do uh, have some stuff that's lost over the years, then we try to acquire it anew, like uh, with a bunch of, of, of old members that, that sometimes stick around in the area, or that we can we can call, or we have a lot of uh, some some contacts in in the industry. Uh, we can ask. So yeah, if it's lost, we try to regain it, but uh, we try to not lose it in the first place.
3: Yes, well, I can understand. I mean, doing something like this—it's you know, such such a project that requires a lot of time and dedication. I can really see where you know. I, I looked at, uh, for instance, my son was involved in robotics in high school, and he is in his his late thirties now, and he's still very close with people who we worked with in high school on the robotics team. So, I'm I'm sure that probably is the same thing here. You have people who just have acafleek in their heart totally. and they wish yes. to help out wherever they yeah, can.
0: Totally.
3: Oh, that's that's really marvelous. That's great. So as far as the design concepts uh, and assembly um, are, they are all the efforts uh, done uh, through the Akaflieg members. Is there you have any kind of external uh, design groups or anything like that that help out?
0: Um, so so design is one hundred percent in house. We we um, yeah that's from from the ground up. Um, I mean, of course we we get inspiration from from other aircraft or from our own aircraft that we built previously, but design wise it's all one hundred percent ours. That's like our our main uh, competency. If you if you like, that's 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 the whole point. We're doing this (laughs) Um, as far as uh, as far as building the stuff goes, we build as much as possible uh, in our workshop, all the uh, fiber composite stuff. That's all we do all of that ourselves. Uh, We try to make create the molds ourselves as far as we can. If they get too large, of course, we can't do that and we try to make most of the metal parts ourselves, but as soon as it gets to like uh, CNC stuff, that's where we have to, where we have to give it to someone else, because <laughs> that we, we just don't have the, sure. just don't have the machines for that. On occasion, we uh, we sometimes take like whole assemblies from different gliders, like say for example, in the case of the AKX, the speed brakes are just complete part as is off the shelf, and we just put that into the AKX since. It wouldn't make sense to reinvent the wheel, but yeah, everything else—it's completely our design and and work we put in.
3: Yes, uh, that's what I sure noticed. Um, your videos, by the way, I just want to say, as a as an outsider, your videos are marvelous. They are so great to be able to see what you guys. Thanks so much. Uh, they're exciting. The the you know the the interviews with the various students that are in charge of things. Yeah, I, just keep it up. They're they're fantastic. Thank you.
2: Wings and Wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over 30 years. They hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in North America, and they ship globally. Nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same day shipping. Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. They are also now the exclusive distributor in North America for the new Just Soaring Sim Pro. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes, staffed by Adam, Kelly, Julie, and Sean. A friendly voice will answer when you call or email. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. So first off, well, we'll
3: go ahead and get into the, the design of the AKX, because it is a it is a, a wonderful departure from conventional sailplane designs. Um, <laughs> you know, so you know, was there a particular mission statement or theme that has carried you guys through all of this? Because it has been a, a tremendous effort as far as develop, design and development. Was, was there a some sort of a goal that you looked at? Is there something on your wall or something that basically says, keep it going, <laughs> don't stop, or something like that?
0: Yeah. Um not in the traditional sense like we don't have a mission statement plastered on the wall if you like but um it i i personally think it more it comes down more to to personal motivation that's that's different for each for each person but it's i i mean i can i can talk about what my motivation is behind it and it's it, it, there are different many many aspects to it but um, one part is that the the ACA fleeks, or or we as a group we're pretty much The only organization that can pull off a project like this with maybe a few exceptions like take your normal glider manufacturers they couldn't do this because it's way too risky for them Uh, they would have to put way too much money on the line and they have their proven concepts so it wouldn't be worthwhile for them but for us it's different because we can you know we can we can just give it a shot and if it doesn't work out so what then too bad but uh it's not like the whole company is on the line and take like the big, I don't know, research organizations for them. This is way too niche on the other hand, you know, so. So we fall right in the middle of um, of uh, of doing a project like this where few others could even attempt something like this. I mean, there there are a couple of exceptions come to mind, like uh, maybe Paolo Iskolt with Nix's project. Yes. Or, or Gerhard Weibel and Dick Butler with the Concordia. Those are far and few between and um, yeah so <laughs> uh, at the end of the day it's 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 us who are doing this or or nobody <laughs> i guess no one else yeah <laughs>
4: well that's marvelous
3: i you know i just uh, hope that uh, the the fleets, you know just all of them i hope they just continue on and and uh, as you say you you can explore things that uh, would not really be viable on the commercial side and and not really something that uh is of interest in other things. I mean, for the most part, this is really all about research and design and what could be better. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's the one thing that, so the, uh, the AKX is, uh, is compared to another flying wing glider. I looked at the videos about the Aquafleek Braunschweig uh, SB13, which flew in the 80, 80s and 90s. And, uh, but there are significant differences. So would you describe the, the overall configuration design process that, uh, that led to the final configuration because you know several uh, swept-wing canard-powered aircraft uh, that have, have been very successful, like the Very Easy, the Long Easy, the Cozy, what drove your design uh, to, uh, to just omit that separate uh, attitude and pitch flying surface near the nose, which is, is called a canard?
0: Um, yeah, so first up, SB-13, definitely a very big inspiration uh, for the AKX. In the beginning, so this was before my time, actually, mm-hmm. 2010 is when the first ideas Around the AKX started. There were a couple of concepts floating around, like uh backswept or or no sweep or forward swept. But in the end, we or the team back then settled on on backswept wings since it seemed aerodynamically the most most sensible. And also because the SP13 was such a great successor. Uh sorry, precessor. <laughs>
1: uh-huh.
0: And yeah, well, I mean, the SP-13, I mean, it it, it flew, it flew right. It had some problems, but overall, it, it did pretty okay, especially considering how innovative of a project it was. So in the beginning, they did take the SP-13 concept and tried to improve on it. So that's mainly that it has a, a much stronger uh, back sweep. SP-13 had 15 degrees, AKX is up to 25 degrees. And with that, we get much higher pitch damping, which is really what caused a lot of the problems of the sp 13 That was just kind of hard to control uh, as far as pitch goes. And also what's new in the AKX is that we have integrated flaps, which the SB13 didn't have at all. And also the whole uh, concept of the controls is totally different. So sp 13 had only one aileron elevator mixed on the on the outermost section of the wing, and the AKX now has flaps over the whole uh, over the whole span, and elevator is innermost and outermost, so they they move in in different directions to each other, and then the aileron also over the whole span of the wing, and that gives us a key advantage over the SP thirteen, that it's aerodynamically much better for the wing for the wing profile to not have to accommodate such uh, strong elevator movements especially if you're in if you're in slow flight you would have to continuously have that flap you know at an angle which of course aerodynamically for for the profile it's not des- designed uh to be flown continuously with with the flap extended so yeah having having this new configuration we can we can fly the plane at much Better, um, at a mu- much better configuration at most speeds. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And there's there's compared to the SP thirteen, there's there's a ton of changes under the hood. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you if you first look at it, it, it looks kind of similar, and of course you'd be forgiven to think that. But this project is from the nineteen eighties, and really just like the whole industry has come a long way since then. I mean, cat design was was like was in its infancy back then, right? So. We of course have have totally different uh, tools we can use. We have have different materials, also also the science behind it come a little further and, yeah for sure yeah <laughs> so we hope we hope to yeah definitely yeah that, yeah that,
3: as you say you know because you've done you're doing all of your mechanical design on cad of course there's also you can do computational fluid dynamics to take a look and actually examine f- airflow yeah of
0: course and
3: that, that kind of stuff is readily available on open source which is marvelous i mean the, the sort of things that you guys can do is, is far better
0: coming coming back to to the canar, because because you mentioned that just now it's simply in the in the AKX with the design we have with the wings swept back. It really wouldn't make much sense to include a canard because, uh, frankly, you'd have only disadvantages from that. You get, you know, you get turbulent air hitting your wings, and with the design we now currently have, it's it's it should handle mostly or like relatively comparably to to a standard glider. That's that's the beauty of beauty of it that we we get a relatively standard plane. Hopefully, <laughs> but um, with, the, uh, with the advantages of, of reducing a lot of the drag that comes from having that whole tail section and integrating those surfaces that, of course, are still required to, to control the plane, integrating those into, uh, into the wings, into the winglets, and that's pretty much the key advantage there.
3: Yes, yeah, I I can see that, I I truly can. As as you talk more, it, it begins to really dawn on me a little bit more, and that's that's what kind of leads me into that, that next question that I'd I'd like to ask is you know the, with the swept wing design and the center of gravity being in mid span, you know you do have an interesting challenge for pitch control where the wing surfaces uh, range from forward to after the CG range and. So, uh, you know, a simple design concept would be to control the pitch from near the wing tips yeah. or from near the wing root, but you actually did both, which is really stunning. Um, <laughs> and so what what factors actually drove that because I don't know if I, I've seen any other kind of an aircraft that has uh that has pitch control on on both sides of the center of gravity.
0: Yeah, so um that's uh pretty much um some of the some of the points I mentioned uh just yes. now, so um in in essence, it's it's advantageous to you know to spread out those surfaces and especially as, like in the different speed configurations. If you combine that with flaps, then you have the advantage of not needing so much elevator movement at all, or or not so much angle in your in your elevator surfaces. And of course, um, I mean anyone who's who's flown a glider for some time would probably realize that. You know, playing with the elevator up and down—it's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's not going to get you a good glide ratio because it—it um, it messes up the whole aerodynamics. The profile of the airplane is designed to work in in a certain way, and if you start uh, moving your control surfaces too much or having them at an angle the whole time, then of course uh, they don't work as expected. So by by spreading this out, by spreading out the elevator, we can we can essentially operate the whole. Wing, We can have a, a good lift distribution that's not as affected by elevator controls, by different speed configurations as the SB13, for example, where you would get very strong changes in your lift distribution. And, of course, you always want that. a traditional aircraft design to be as elliptical as possible for for maximum efficiency
3: just from one moment but as far as lift distribution i just want to make sure so yeah what we're talking about is actually the the amount of lift that the wing provides from the from the root to the uh to the tip and 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 that if you look at a kind of a vertical sort of uh uh, view of it if you were if you could see the lift you'd actually see kind of an elliptical shape of the uh of that, of that, as it, the, the lift is much stronger toward the root and it tends to tail off toward the tip in, a, in the shape of an ellipse. I, that's more for the the non uh, fla- non uh, sure, aviation sure. design types. But go ahead, thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and mathematically speaking, the the ideal lift distribution is elliptical, right? As you just said. Yes, so yes. Uh-huh. We we try to we try to maintain that at or or the perfect concept would be having that lift distribution at every at every speed, which is practically impossible to to attain but i mean as close as you can get you're gonna get better uh, overall performance so that's what we try to do
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah fantastic I, so i guess the so then uh yeah we're gonna basically leave a, some of the some people here behind as we get a little nerdy but that's okay because uh, i because there's some things i want to ask <laughs> or at least a comment <laughs> So, you know, because what that does mean, then, is if you have, uh, when you do have those control surfaces, uh, you know, pitch control surfaces in those locations, it means that you can generally have less deflection as well, right? Yes, exactly.
0: That, yeah. Outstanding. And, yeah. and also, also one, one more detail, maybe a lot of people when they, when they hear flying wings, they think, um, oh, it's got to be a reflex airfoil for sure, which means the the camber line goes uh, below the, um, which could be below the cord, right? Yes. Um, at the back of the airfoil and that's only that's only required if you have if you have a flying wing that has very little sweep um, because you have to have a a moment free airfoil but with our design we can we can omit that and we can have a relatively standard airfoil and what this enables us to do is get this elliptical lift distribution that we just talked about whereas a uh, another flying wing design that has a reflexed profile would have to have a bell distribution, which is disadvantageous for performance.
3: Yeah, well, I can, I can understand that. That's fantastic. I'm just thinking of one particular glider that a relatively modern glider would suffered a great deal because of that, because they had to have a, uh, a reflexed airfoil. It, it, there were some huge drag issues at certain um, angles of attack. And so that mm-hmm. you would basically eliminate that. That's fantastic. So yeah, we are definitely going to be uh, leaving the uh, (laughs) the non nerd types behind.
0: That's just just quick, quick. That's true. We'll
3: we'll try to keep it a little more basic, but I'm
0: afraid. I'll try to keep it less technical. (laughs) Yes.
3: So um, the uh, the control, and and that's the thing. If you if you look at the videos and all the uh, the control mixers uh, that you know that we well, there are control mixers common in high performance gliders now that combine aileron and flap control. Um, But in the AKX, as you've mentioned, you have multiple control surfaces on the wings that are actuated by a unique control mixer, which reflexes the entire system for thermaling and cruising and yet still controls uh, both sets of of pitch controls and, and provides roll control as well. And so, um, I mean, it, it's exquisite, it's a beautiful design. And so can you tell us just a little bit uh, about the, you know, the prototyping process that resulted in such a, an exquisite design? How did you arrive, and especially how did you arrive at the relative control surface deflections between those forward and aft surfaces?
0: sure um, so yeah it is it is quite quite a marvel of, of mechanical engineering um, <laughs> it's it's not my work but it's it's uh, it's a couple of people on the team were involved in that and um, uh, at the beginning we weren't even sure if, if if it could be pulled off or if it could be pulled off feasibly um, with you know with the uh, with what we have at our at our disposal but yeah it's, it is mechanically speaking relatively complicated we have a, a parallelogram type of control, which means the, the stick doesn't tilt back and forwards. It, it moves back and forwards in, in, in parallel. And so it, it hangs on, on like a pendulum. And in that pendulum, we, we integrate the pitch control, roll control and the flaps. And that then gets sent to the uh, three control surfaces along the trailing edge of the wing. Um, we sometimes jokingly call them flapper elevator, <laughs> something along those lines, um, because yeah, they, they uh, you you have those three inputs and they get uh, they get mixed and they get sent to those three surfaces, but not always linearly and not always uh, distributed the same amount. But yeah, the, the the deflections are relatively straightforward for at least as far as uh, the elevator and the aileron controls go, those are 10 degrees up and down. And honestly we, we pretty much arrived at that through like empirical testing of you know just getting um, especially with our scale model, we, we tested tested the flap deflections and or, or the control surface deflections and just checked what worked, since those are driven with servos so we you could you could tune them see uh, see how much you actually need. Uh, to control the plane proper. I mean, the final the final result will result will be out when we when we get into the air. If it's if it's you know if it's comfortable to fly, but uh, <laughs> I sure hope that those reflections are uh, should be fine, or at least they should be enough. But it's it's always very difficult to calculate something uh, or to calculate the deflection and and be sure that it's gonna be gonna be the correct amount. So we so we kind kind of arrived that by trying it out on the scale model
1: hmm
3: yeah yeah that, we'll get into that scale model a bit later that's that that in itself is just a, a, a fantastic way of testing out your concepts too but that's that's great so you know well done i i'm we're certainly i'm certainly <laughs> looking forward to seeing how it how it goes so well, you know we'll, convention- we'll
0: for sure yeah. we'll for sure have a uh have an episode on our youtube channel in the future um i'm not sure when yet but we'll for sure have one because it's it's such a nice such a nice piece of uh, uh of the controls to look at and you really can't convey how it works uh just by just by talking about it you got to see it and and see how it how it behaves how it works with all the all the different inputs and outputs
3: yeah that would be great to see it, really, it truly would yeah as you say with, with it all working Basically looking in, inside at the at the mixer and then looking outside at the f- control surfaces and seeing how they're affected by, by different motions with the mixer. That would be fantastic.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Aerox, the number one in portable and engineered aviation oxygen systems, your source for FAA-approved oxygen masks and portable oxygen systems, and now introducing the Aerox Pro 2 Plus Flight Bag Portable Oxygen System. Small, lightweight, and simple to use, The Pro 2 Plus is perfect for the occasional user who wants the flexibility to access higher altitudes without worry about flying impaired. Now available at Aerox Distributors and at Aerox.com. So remember, our friends at Aerox, engineered for aviators.
3: So um, the, there's one thing I looked at too. The the one thing that is unique about about the AKX is that the the wing actually joins the what you can't even really call it a fuselage. It's kind of a pod, really. <laughs> it's tiny. It, it joins it right at the very leading edge. Yeah, it is tiny, but it joins it. It, it joins it at the at the very leading edge um, of the of that pod. And and so um, what that means is that it it provides the pilot a unique view of the wing, which really is not available in regular sailplanes In regular sailplanes. We can see the leading edge, you know, and I, I have a Pic 20 D and, and I look out and see bugs on my leading edge and I, and I start cursing <laughs> because that airfoil <laughs> is not conducive to bugs. Um, yeah. but the, uh, but in your case or in the AKX case, um, The pilot can see most of the wing of the aft of the spar actually and so um, have you guys considered uh, some form of airstream visualization like with tufts or something like that so the pilot just as we use uh, yaw strings uh, would you consider maybe having some sort of tufting tufting for flow visualization to keep the separation uh, uh, minimized uh, during uh, various uh, flying regimes like thermaling or high-speed cruising
0: that's a really interesting question. Question, actually, and and no, we haven't thought about that, um, but I also think. I mean, our our first goal is to get into the air, right, and to uh, to try out this concept and, and see how it flies. Also, I I I don't really see how we could how we could integrate a flow visualization in in a meaningful way that wouldn't cause additional drag. So, well, it is. It'll probably be amazing to see to see the wings in front of you, and especially to see the control surfaces move as you move the stick. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, yes. I'm sure that will that will be awesome to see. But um, flow visualization, we don't we haven't thought of that honestly. And I, I, yeah, at the moment, I don't really see a way of where we could do that uh, efficiently.
3: Yeah, it's maybe not on a on a uh, um, you know a commercial sort of thing or whatever, but maybe just for your own. Uh, Benefit just while you're doing your research. Yeah, of course. Just to see. I
0: mean, of course. In, in, in flight testing and flight testing, we're definitely going to do that. That's yeah, that's yeah. like a, a standard part. Yeah, yeah. But that's not going to be something that um we would have uh for, for later standard flights. I mean, mm-hmm. it would be nice to see how, as you said, when you're fumbling so you can you know you can you can get right up to that edge and no further. Um, but yeah, that that's going to be something for flight testing. We worked with yaw strings and, like, like a petroleum paint mm-hmm. uh, yes. for flow visualization in in testing. But after that, no, we're, uh, I don't know. I mean, I we're open. I uh, uh, we're open to anything. We'll see. But honestly, I don't think it's there's going to be any anything like that.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Uh huh. No problem. Yeah, I, I, I'm, it would be interesting to see how those all pay out as well. So. So and so now kind of moving to something else, there wasn't, I didn't see a lot of uh, of uh, detail on it, but uh, your CG trimming concept of what you're doing in the tail cone is is fascinating. Um, If you can maybe kind of give give it sort of a a simple sort of overview would be really good.
0: Yeah, of course. So um, we uh, we actually found out when when testing the uh, the half scale model or you know, when, when when designing the plane uh, itself, we found out that it, it tends to be a little nose heavy. So we needed some extra weight at the tail. And since we're so space limited, <laughs> there wasn't really any any space in the fuselage. Um, but we did uh, manage to, like, essentially, uh, the design essentially cuts off the whole tip. So it, it leads to, to a point. Um, and we cut off the, that whole tip and replace it uh, with a with essentially a steel block. <laughs> so uh, that's one part. It's it's a, a ten kilogram steel block, so over 20 pounds. And um, in addition to that, we have uh, space for some for some lead, for some lead weights that fit into this block and also in a tube that goes into the fuselage a bit. And so we can we can load up a total of uh, 25 kilograms, I believe, which is over, over 50 pounds, maybe close to 60 in the tail. And yeah, but the, the interesting thing about the AKX is actually that the pilot uh, sits very, very close to the center of gravity to begin with. So the um, so our trimming, the, the trimming we do with that tail weight is 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 a thing that that you sort of set and forget. So it doesn't change when you change the pilot. It's we we tune it once or we I don't know, maybe change it depending on the conditions, but it's not like you would have to change that based on the pilot's weight.
3: Okay, so it's not flight adjustable. You don't need to worry about doing something like that. Yeah, as you say, you you yeah. you find out what's what's optimum as far as flying qualities are concerned and, and then you're you exactly. you go no further.
0: Yep, pretty much.
3: Okay. Mhm. So uh, yeah, so now we'll move in. And
0: also to add to, to, add to that, sorry, uh, just just one detail I just remembered. It's um, it's also for um, for flutter. Actually, it's it's very useful because it gives the whole the whole fuselage and and of course the whole plane. It gives it a moment of inertia that helps in reducing flutter.
3: Wow. Okay. Um... Well, wow, here at the risk of getting into the nerds again, <laughs> so but you're you're doing that because of uh, <laughs> because you have more of uh, uh, you have a higher moment of inertia or at least a higher inertia for the for the fuselage itself. It's not it's not so yeah. easily affected. Okay, exactly. got yeah. it, got it. So yeah, yeah, they're very interesting. So that that really helps a lot. Um, okay, great. So uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about that semi-scale model. The, the, sem- the September 2021 video uh, sure. shows the, you know, the, uh, the actually the thing that's interesting to me is is towing this half-scale aero model with a full-size aero tow aircraft. That uh, <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. And now, see, I'm a tow pilot. I fly a Piper Pawnee, and I've done so for quite a few years. And the idea of flying an unmanned glider behind me would, that would be, uh, that would definitely uh, Get me to be thinking. <laughs> did, did, how how did the tow plane? You know, how does the tow plane pilot feel about that? I mean, have there been any, been any excursions that were um, kind of difficult just because you didn't have a, a pilot in the in the model? Um,
0: well, first off, let me tell you, it was pretty difficult to get approval to do it this way. Uh, when we first started model testing, we, we actually <laughs> towed towed up the model with another model aircraft. Um, that was pretty easy to do. Or to get approval, but doing it this way it was it was really difficult because it's not uh, normally meant to be done this way. Um, but we managed to get it after after a lot of time, and it is really quite a sight to behold. But to be honest, I I'm, uh, I heard from from the top pilot that that is <laughs> it's really not that big of a challenge because I mean the model it is relatively heavy. It it's around sixty kilograms. So what would that be? Like I don't know, 130, 130 pounds or so. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, they don't really feel all that much from it. And also performance-wise, it's it's just like having a copilot. So we, <laughs> we, we, uh, you know, we can we can rise up pretty quick in that configuration. And uh, there have been instances where where we decoupled, like the the model decoupled from. From the plane, from the tow plane, and the tow pilot didn't even realize because it adds so little drag and weight. So um, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I can it's see that. relatively yeah, easy I, for the tow pilots, I believe. But uh, actually, for for the pilot flying flying the model, it's it's really difficult because we we don't use a like like a headset or anything. Um, it's all from the ground up, and we do, we do wow. go we do go pretty high up to. Uh, Know, to have enough altitude for spin testing, so we go, uh, I think, around 2,500 feet above ground, if I'm not mistaken, something around there. And yeah, all from the ground, just looking up, it's, uh, it gets quite difficult to judge altitudes and especially to, to judge the uh, difference in altitude between the model and the towplane.
3: That's amazing. That really takes some skill on the part of the, uh, the, the model, the model Absolutely. pilot. My yeah. gosh, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> I know. Cause as a tow pilot, I've towed some pretty light aircraft before, like the Sparrow, which weighs, I think it weighs like 200 pounds empty or something like that. And yeah, I've hardly even noticed it's yeah. there. So I can see that now <laughs> there would not be that big of a deal. It's just, it could be flailing around behind me and I wouldn't even notice it. So, um, on the other hand, yeah, to- towing the bigger ones that they it almost feels like the tail is wagging the dog. So, but that's <laughs> that's really good. So now, one thing uh, um, you know in that video with the Aero model being spin tested, uh, what did you, what kind of a- unique aspects or were there some unique aspects as far as entry and recovery uh, to 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 get it to spin and to get it out of the spin?
0: Um, yes, actually, uh, uh, in particular with the with the exit out of the spin. So entry entry is pretty standard. I mean as far as there is anything standard for for spin entry, because uh, I mean, every plane behaves a little differently and you have different behavior depending on your on your CG uh, on your trimming. But yeah, as far as that goes, it's it's fairly standard. And getting out of the spin is where it starts getting interesting because we, of course, at first we tried uh, the standard procedure, which is for the most part just uh, r- rather in the opposite direction of the spin, right? Yeah,
3: and, and neutralizing the stick also. Yeah, neutralizing the yeah. That, that of course, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
0: of course. But the main force that's getting you out of the spin, um, of course. I mean, you, of course, you have to release the stick so that you don't yes. go back into the spin, or that it's effective your your exit maneuver. But the the actual like the actual force that's getting you out of the spin is is your rather in that case. Of course, we tried that procedure uh, in the beginning, and it really. Didn't work that great. Um, it worked in in some in some uh, CG configurations, but we also had problems that it would sometimes uh, very abruptly after leaving the spin in one direction enter the spin in the other direction. So it was rather difficult to control. But then we came up with a a, a different method that works uh, pretty well for the AKX, and I think it's it's really interesting. It's it's basically you push the stick forward in in like a quick jerk because you're you're in the spin that and because the elevator the outermost elevator and the spin still has flow around it so that actually causes a precession moment that then counteracts the uh, uh the movement around the vertical axis and um well yeah stops stops the spinning motion most effectively that's that's really quite interesting, in my opinion, um, because it's it's not really intuitive at first. Yeah.
3: So so you're jerking the stick forward, you're pitching forward, but because of the pitch controls at the at the outboard uh, at the out of the outboard set of the wings, as I say, because they're flying, it actually stops. It basically imparts roll against the spin, and that's how it is. That how it's recovering.
0: Yes, and and then on top of that, the precession moment which uh, we believe plays a, a, a large part in that um, because you're Perce- gyroscopic precession. Yes, exactly. Gyroscopic precession. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> you're, you're practically, I mean, essentially you're, you're spinning around two axes when, when yes. you're in a spin. And um, so, yeah, you can, you can use the gyros- gyroscopic precession effect to get it out of that.
3: That is fascinating fascinating you won't see that in uh, standard aircraft that's for sure <laughs> no no you won't amazing
0: they they have they have way too much uh, way too much rudder uh, effect and and vertical uh, uh, what you call it the uh, <laughs> what you call the the uh, section before the rudder
3: the fuselage yeah like the uh, or at least the
0: Yeah, no, no, I mean, I mean, it's the, 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 yeah, the,
3: uh, right, right, right. The, uh, the, yeah, fin and rudder, basically. Yes. Yeah. The vertical fin. The fin, the Mm -hmm. fin. Yeah. Yeah. Wow.
0: So, so a standard plane has, has, uh, too large of a fin. And so, of course, you use a rudder in that scenario, but, um, yeah, we have to use different. Yeah.
3: Wow. That is fascinating. So have, uh, have the pilots tried to uh, thermal with it? How can, you know, I mean, you're thermaling, obviously you're doing it externally just as a, a regular
0: model glider, but how how well does it thermal? Yeah. Um, so there were some uh, thermal tests actually, but only with the four meter wingspan model, which came before the half scale model. Um, uh-huh. And I mean, the pilots, the pilots commented that it was, it was it was pretty standard. It was fine, um, but then again, it's it's really hard to to compare it. Um, I mean, comparing the scale model with the with the full size model, especially when it comes to uh, to like flight performance and and the details of handling. Because I mean, if you're if you're talking about good thermal handling, then we're talking about a lot of minor details that you would only really notice when you're when you're sitting inside of it. But um, yeah, we. We're hopeful that that it should be able to to thermal really well. I mean, we have a couple of things going for us. So we have we have the large winglets with a relatively large winglet. Uh, sorry, sorry, a wing area, relatively large wing mm-hmm. area, especially for the wingspan. Um, and we also we have uh, with this configuration we have a relatively large uh, rolling moment due to, to due to the yaw. So when you when you push the rudder uh, you also roll into the direction of uh, of the direction that you're pushing the rudder and that combined usually results in characteristics that pilots would describe as good thermaling characteristics yeah the ability to th- to thermal and, tightly and also performance. yeah
3: i mean the, the, the key thing is to be where where it can really make a difference of course is in say light lift where you want to uh, make a very tight turn Uh, and be able to, uh, exploit, uh, you know, the, the low lift, the, you know, low amount of, uh, thermal strength, but you also need to have a, a, fairly, uh, uh, small turning radius. And yes, if, if, and it, it seems like that
2: would work very, very well to do that. Yeah. Our longtime sponsor of the show, the Soaring Academy, is engaged in nonprofit outreach work with local area veterans and also with young people for the STEM programs at their top-notch glider port facility just outside of Los Angeles, nestled near the north side of the San Gabriel Mountains. They also have a fantastic flight school and are continuing to turn out great glider pilots every month. If you like to donate to their nonprofit initiatives or learn more about their flight school, Go to SoaringAcademy.org or check them out on Instagram at Soaring Academy.
3: So um, how about uh, during approach and landing? Uh, you know, you the one thing I, I did see, you know, you, you definitely, uh, the design was affected by that, of course, because you, I saw where the uh, the wings, at, if they were positioned in a low position, then there were problems with the wingtips contacting the ground during the flare. and.
4: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, so how about that though, when you're coming in close, you know, close to the ground and, you know, short approach and landing, um, were there any unusual handling characteristics as you began to slow down and land and, and was there, how about reactions to uh, the dive brake actuation? Was there any, you know, can you, is, is there anything unusual there?
0: Um, so yeah, funny that you should uh, mention the, like uh, low wing mounting because that was that was actually the the original concept or that was how SB thirteen was was laid out as well. But after after the first couple of iterations, we realized that we really couldn't do it this way. We we had to have like a mid mid wing configuration or else we'd risk uh, touching the ground uh, on flare. And yeah, so. <laughs> that's that's quite interesting. Um now we should be clear hopefully of the ground. And also in, in addition, we we have added or we now have those flaps, and those obviously also help keep the plane more level when coming down. Yes. Um but yeah, with the with the model we did have a couple of rough landings. We had like at least one broken uh nose gear, uh which is now enforced, <laughs> reinforced. But yeah, it's it's again, it's that's where we hit a part where it's it's difficult to say how much uh, we can compare the model to to the final um, full size plane because a lot of it or or some of the of the handling or um, rather of the of the difficulties in in the approach could also just be down to the sheer weight um, and speed of the model which standard aircraft models don't usually reach or at least in that, in that class, uh, in that wingspan class. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's again, it's, it's difficult to say if, if uh, rough approaches is going to be a problem we will have with the with the AKX later on, or if some of the challenges we've encountered in model testing are just down to it being relatively heavy and, and fast. But yeah, that remains to
3: be seen. Yeah, and of course, Reynolds number could have
0: Reynolds number could have an effect.
3: Also, there's one for yeah. the anti nerds, but uh, you know, there's, there's that as well. Your your model is going to be a yes, much yes. higher Reynolds number. You're, the the size yeah. Aircraft. Well,
0: um, I mean, the uh, the Reynolds number is uh, it was uh, it was specifically designed the model to have a relatively high Reynolds number um, in order in order to get yes, as close to to the characteristics of the full size prototype. So, so completely, completely yes. discarding yeah. any performance metrics, but just um, optimizing for characteristics that are as close as possible to the full size plane.
3: Yes. So you'd have to fly the model faster uh, in order to approximate the Reynolds number of the of a larger aircraft, and so that yeah that, that, that gives it's, you all kinds of. It's really fast. Problems. I
0: mean, it's it's yes. still it's still slower than the than the full size plane, of course, but mm-hmm. it's uh for compared to its size, it's it flies pretty fast. Yeah.
3: Yes, yeah, that makes sense. So now uh, you mentioned flutter a little bit, uh, and that I also saw that in the in the video about the SB thirteen. Um, so, um, so you know, flutter is a is flutter a greater concern on a swept wing than a straight wing, and was and was flutter encountered in the half scale air model flights?
0: Um, yeah, it definitely is a, a very large concern. A lot of a lot of the design uh, hinges on on flutter. The issue that we ha- that we run into is that the bending forces couple with uh, torsion forces. So when you uh, when the wings are bent up, inevitably you're gonna encounter a little torsion because of the uh, back sweep, and that then coupled with oscillations in angle of attack leads to leads to problems because because of course that uh, that torsion that you encounter if, when you bend the wing also changes the angle of attack, and so. It really is more of a problem in this design than in, in standard uh, configurations. Um, and also what's a challenge that, that this mode, uh, this flutter mode happens very abruptly. So there's no, no, real, no real warning beforehand. It's, uh, you have very little damping once it happens, which is also different to, to standard designs. And actually, we had we had a we had a four meter model that was probably were relatively short sure, was design, uh, was destroyed due to flutter. <laughs> With the uh, half scale model, we uh, we did some flutter analysis beforehand, or like uh, testing flutter testing. As in, you you hang it uh, like on on you have you have like a fixture that you hang it onto, and then uh, you measure the different modes. And we did that, and now we try to keep way clear of that critical speed. But also the reason the 4-meter model was destroyed before was that we used a ultra-high-modulus fiber that, whilst it was very good for stiffness, it was actually too stiff or too brittle, uh, rather, and that is what caused it to be destroyed. And now for the prototype plane, we use a a fiber in this bar that's also... Very, very stiff, um, but also has a high strength. And yeah, so that should be, should be very sufficient
3: <laughs> yeah i saw well the the, the video about, of laying out the spar was really uh, really instructive you know was was a great instruction very educational it's painstaking about oh it's gosh painstaking,
0: yes. i can tell you yeah because <laughs> you're laying down
3: individual str- strands all along the whole thing yeah. holy smokes we, that, we, that we is... stand
0: there we stand there for for like 10 to 12 hours uh laying down individual strands and we can't really take a break <laughs> yeah and on occasion on occasion we we some uh some of those we built uh, in the summer and it was pretty hot outside so we had to we had to do it during the night so that our resin wouldn't wouldn't get too warm oh goodness uh during the process so, so we start at 10 p.m and finished at like seven that was. That was quite a lot of fun. That's oh my like goodness! 12, Twelve people around about.
3: <laughs> wow! Yeah, it's just very intensive. But but yeah, as you say, you're, you you want to have the absolute. Uh, you know, that's the only way to do it. Where you basically have individual strands. You really can't afford to have any kind of a weaved uh, spar cap. I can understand that.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a very it's a very massive uh, spar cap as well. Yeah, it's very massive and very stiff.
3: Well that's a good thing because yeah, the key thing is it's it's gonna be interacting with the control surfaces and, and your control surfaces, of course, they're of course they're so. really critical as far as flutter is concerned, and so you have to build them very light in the trailing edge. Um, yeah. and yeah. and well balanced or you are gonna be in big trouble.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's that's actually one more challenge we have yet to face. Um or we've 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 gotten our feet wet, but we haven't uh we haven't found the perfect solution we're still experimenting with um building rudders that are as light as possible and still still strong enough but we haven't settled on the final uh on a final design or or a final uh building process of how we want to build these
3: wow yeah that's a that's going to be key uh i know that uh, you know as far as balance is concerned control balancing um having a i remember from my old aero modeling days of having very very stiff and and strong leading edge um, and and as far as the and knowing where to to actually mount the hinge to make sure that the controls are actually balanced and, and balanced and then the, the trailing edge portion has to be as absolutely light as possible and of course in your case it can't flex too much otherwise it won't be effective and oh uh, yeah you you definitely it's it's a good thing for <laughs> for a, a dedicated group like the AkaFleeg to be able to address and
0: that's that's great yeah we're definitely going to have a lot of trial and error still still ahead of us.
3: <laughs> I, yes, I, I can see that, but it's all in the in pilot safety, really. You know, of course, you, yeah. It needs to work before yeah. the pilot can fly it. So that's that's good. One thing I saw also was there was quite a lot of, uh, of emphasis on the uh, on your your stress testing major components to failure, um, and that was very interesting about your wing and your rudders. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how how that went?
0: Um, so yeah, that's that's always uh, a pretty big undertaking. I mean, <laughs> you, you sometimes you spend you spend months uh, building these parts, and then you see them be destroyed in a couple of minutes. It's <laughs> it's it's like a it's it's a bittersweet moment, you know, um, because of course that's what you're working towards, but still getting it, seeing it uh, get destroyed is it's, <laughs> it's interesting to say the least. But so yeah, we've we've thus far we've the, the two biggest. Components we've tested is the wings and the winglets. Rather we've done some preliminary tests, but not final yet. And of course we test a bunch of like smaller components that go into the glider, like say say, like some control rods or the like. Those are all tested unless we can be like 100% absolutely certain just simply based on, on material properties that they're gonna hold. Um, if not then we have to test it so yeah it's it's exciting every time the wing i mean it's 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 pretty big and loading it up with so much force until it breaks yeah that's it's really exciting so the process works um or or what we have to prove is that we reach a, a safety factor of 1.725 on top of the maximum load that we you would could possibly encounter in flight. And yeah, we proved that with the wings and the winglets successfully. The wings lasted until a safety factor of two point seven. Oh, which great. um I mean yeah, well, I mean it depends. If you look at it uh from this from the point of, of like uh say a structural engineer or or the like, some might say, well in that case you built it way too strong, you built it way too heavy. Um but Interestingly, actually, that that you know that high safety factor arises from the necessity of having to build the wing um, as stiff as we have to do because of the flutter uh, that we mentioned before, and aside of uh, a side effect of having to build it so stiff, just results in it being so strong. So um, going into that uh, wing failure test, we never really we never really doubted that it would. It would crack the one point seven two five, but of course we didn't perfectly know what safety factor we would reach. And we we learned a lot from that and we we actually improved this design on even on top of that even more because we had a we actually had a torsion failure. Again due to that back sweep, you get a lot of torsion load on the shell. And we actually had the torsion failure at the at the web at the trailing edge. And that then transferred to the shell, which caused it to rupture. And for for the winglets, we got to a safety factor of two point two, which is pretty high. But it's also good to have that extra safety margin because they're just so massive, and you never know. I mean, if you end up putting them face on into into incoming air, if you if you happen to uh, to maneuver the plane in in such a way that you would hit. Uh, the incoming airflow full on then it's good to have that extra safety margin on those winglets as well
3: oh definitely yeah hopefully you're never hopefully you're never going to be at a 90 degree yaw though that's for sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it uh,
0: it would be quite uh i don't know it, it would be surprising because I, I really don't see how you could how you could get it to that but still nonetheless it's it's good to have that
3: definitely definitely so tell us a little bit uh, about the progress of the full-size prototype and uh, outline the uh, the remaining tasks that uh, are required until it makes that first flight.
0: Um, yeah, sure. So we actually started building like the structural parts way back in 2016. That was when we built the first parts that would go into the plane. And, you know, it takes, it it, it just takes, it takes a couple of years. We, we only do this in our free time, but uh, nonetheless, oh, sure. <laughs> nonetheless, we've, uh, by now we've or actually, for a couple of years now, we've uh, completed the left wing and fuselage. As st- at least, as still as, as uh, as far sorry as far as the structure goes, There are still some finishing touches on those. But um, yeah, and then so those are complete left wing and fuselage, and then we have many other parts that are very close to their completion. Um, for example, the right wing, we just finished building the spar, and we're now going to move on to the controls. And in a couple of months, we're hopefully going to uh, close those molds and, and close the shells. The undercarriage, so um, the forward and, and rear gear are um, design-wise they're complete for, for some time now. And they're fully in the production process. And yeah, they're coming along nicely. And uh, hopefully a couple of months we should we should have the rear Gear complete. Um, the front gear is going to take a little longer because it's a little more complicated because of space restrictions. Winglets are in full swing right now. We already completed the shells a while back, and now we're moving on to um, the structural components, components on the inside, and also the controls. Um, yeah, so those are like the main the main groups, and there's there's still a bunch of stuff that are that. We have to do so, like the control surfaces uh, I mentioned earlier, that we're still uh, finalizing designs, and then a lot of finishing touches in, uh, you know, bunch of stuff. So we have we have hydraulic system on the plane to actuate the gears. We of course have electronics like any other glider. You you know, you gotta you gotta finish up the cockpit and you gotta sand the whole plane and polish it and. and on top of that, we have a bunch of bureaucracies in order to attain our permit to fly. And that's, that's going to be a, a really, really big chunk of work still ahead of us.
3: No, you should have started those back when you were uh, riding a bicycle with training wheels, huh?
0: <laughs> yeah, you could say so. Could say so. <laughs> um, we completed some chapters of that, but there's so much left to do. And um, also one key part... We have to do before the first flight is our flutter test. So first a theoretical flutter analysis, and then a flutter test uh, similar to the one I mentioned that we did with the half scale model. So yeah, just to set, you know, to set the maximum speed. Um, yeah, right. and that's that's wow. okay. mostly yeah, it. Lots, I mean, there's to go. minor minor <laughs> minor stuff. Yeah, minor stuff left and right, but those are like the main, main uh, the main things that we still have to do. So it's Still going to be a lot, of, lot of work.
3: <laughs> a lot of work, but you know, a lot of dedication among the the members of the AKA fleet too. Which is, you know, absolutely. I, yeah. I, I have a funny feeling you guys all uh, probably spend long nights uh, and maybe uh, <laughs> don't go to certain classes so that you can keep on working. I, I think I,
0: <laughs> I think that's probably
3: what's going on a little bit no. now.
0: No comment. No comment. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so tell me then, uh, or you know, the plans for the full size prototype. Once the flights begin, uh, do you have a? Have you thought? Have you begun to uh, figure out
2: a a uh, you know a, a flight test plan? Just soaring, the makers of the Glider Sim SimPro Sailplane Simulator cockpit would like to congratulate German pilot Ben Fest for his recent victory in the first ever FAI-sanctioned aviation esports event in history, the Sailplane World Grand Prix. Which Ben won after several days of exciting competition against some of the top Condor soaring pilots from around the world. If you are looking for a best in class dedicated sailplane simulator cockpit for Condor or Microsoft Flight Sim, look no further than the Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. Check them out at justsoaring.com com or at just dot soaring on Instagram. Um uh
0: sort of I mean I mean a lot of it is Laid out for us because it's required by by the um, in in German it's called uh, Luftfahrt Bundesamt, which is sort of like the the federal aviation office. Uh, if you like, they they lay out the requirements that you have to fulfill, and those are pretty extensive. So, yeah, those are those are first on the list, pretty much. The bunch of the time in the beginning is just going to be spent testing all the different different aspects, especially, you know, those critical scenarios where you, where you approach uh, flight conditions that, well, yeah, that can be critical, like, like uh, max speed yeah. or, or speed break, um, speed break at max speed. That's also quite an interesting one. Um, yeah. All, all those different tests. And that's, that's going to keep us. Right. Yeah. The there can, that can be. That can be.
3: Yes, just as they say, you know, expanding the envelope, basically getting, you know, and so that's that's yeah. where things get interesting. True. So, so with the aircraft, say that you know the AKX winds up being a real success story, mm-hmm. and uh, perhaps it drives Schempert to consider <laughs> something like that. Uh, do you have any you know, any sort of fi- thoughts about uh, the, the future of the AKX uh, configuration if it if it really does work? As well as you uh, are anticipating.
0: I mean, there's always talk, right? I'm uh, so like like involved in the project. Of course, we we get crazy ideas and all that. Um, <laughs> we'll see the the next project after the AKX is definitely not going to be a flying wing, um, or I say definitely, but most likely, uh, I'd be very much surprised if it's if it's going to be another flying wing. But I don't know if it if it truly is very successful. We might do like an AKXB. Like uh, we already thought about maybe integrating, like a a electric motor into the back because that's it's really well Mm suited to to have like to have a small uh, electric motor in the the rear of the fuselage. Uh, Something you can't do with a standard plane. But yeah, as far as as far as this project goes,
3: yeah, the design looks like it. it. i'm sorry it's a conical shape of the of the pod yeah. it, it looks like oh my goodness you know forget the cg put an engine yeah, right yeah, there yeah. <laughs> true, true. and of course you could do that but if with a set and forget it means yes you could you could actually mount uh, some true. sort of a motor and battery and then and then if you needed more weight simply add it and then then you're all set absolutely
0: to go. yeah you could do that but that's of course for for um as far as we're talking akx right now that's just too much to handle because we already have so much going on. So we want to get it into the air first and then maybe in the far future, uh, see if we can expand upon it, see if we can experiment some more. But uh, the main goal is very clear for now.
3: (laughs) So, so finally, I guess the last question I have is, you know, you know, I know you guys are are very, very uh, head down and and concentrating on the uh, AKX. Has have you thought about uh, the next project? What happens after the AKX for for Carlson? Um
0: Yeah, interesting question. So there isn't one set concept right now. Um, there were some, were some floating around, but for the moment we decided to concentrate our efforts on the AKX since we still have a ways to go. But there were a couple of concepts. Like uh, the one idea we thought of a couple of years back was building a motor, motor glider that can act sort of as like a research platform where you can have exchangeable parts, maybe like outer wings, or you can have measurement pots or the like, or a bunch of equipment or like essentially a platform they can easily expand upon and try out different things, try out uh, profiles, you know, do free, free flight measurements and all that. That was an idea, but we're not quite so sure on that anymore because um, might be, might be just a tad too big. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> and then another another uh-huh. idea that's floating around at the moment, but that was uh, put on hold for now because, as I said, because of AKX, could be an aerobatics plane that handles nicely, that, that handles, uh, you know, like like a standard plane. But then at the push of a button, you could maybe have some airflow, what you call it, like, like a, a flow... Uh, Flow-changing devices like um, air pushing out of the wing, out of little holes, for example, in order to change the characteristics so that it would turn into like a really aggressive, aerobatic plane that that can do all sorts of crazy stunts. And then when you're done, you can go back to your normal peaceful plane and and land it calmly.
3: <laughs> that sounds really interesting. I, I I wish I were a student. I'd love to. Do, I'd love to go off and do that. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, I think, uh, I just want to say what a, a pleasure it's been to, to talk about, uh, the Akafleek and, and the AKX with you, uh, Pleasure's Dominic. Pleasure's all mine. But, uh, it's been, oh my gosh. And we look forward to seeing, uh, the progress and, uh, wish you guys all the best. What a, what a, a, a great concept you have. And, uh, just, uh, I just want to say, you know, Uh, just kudos to you and your team and and the students that are that are coming in and going and all the things that are that you're able to accomplish in that sort of an environment and uh, all the best to you thank you so
0: much thank you for having me on and um a side note maybe to your listeners if if they're interested um like we mentioned a couple of times throughout this podcast so we we just started a youtube series where we uh publish monthly updates and that's especially for the English-speaking audience. I would I would recommend those highly because um, unfortunately our website and our our the the rest of the the stuff we publish a lot of it is in German, but those videos we put a lot of work into having uh, good English subtitles, and so they should be hopefully enjoyable to to all audiences. And yeah, we'll definitely keep everyone updated through that.
3: Absolutely. I, I just want to say as a as a uh, viewer of uh, of your YouTube videos uh, and, and only English speaking, it's uh, very well done. And uh, I think it will be excellent for all those to uh, to see. So just uh, um, the, the main thing then is just just YouTube. If you just YouTube, A-K-A-F-L-I-E-G and K-A, you'll get everything. That's all you have to do in order to, to see what's uh, what Occupy uh, Carl's Rule is doing there. All right, well thank you very much Dominic and thank you for uh, for give, for plugging which I should have asked you for in the first <laughs> place. And uh, I hope to uh, we hope to certainly see progress in the near future. Thank
0: you so much. All right, take care. Take care.
3: Okay, bye-bye now.
4: Hi everyone. Sergio from Surrey Master here with tips and advice about cross-country flying. And today we're going to talk about turn points. It's not out of coincidence that many pilots outland near turn points due to poor tactics regarding height, wind, and lift sources. Twenty kilometers before the turn point, assess from which direction the wind is coming from. If you're approaching the turn point with a tailwind, look for thermal sources before rounding the turn point. As you stop for circling the thermal and climbing with Each turn, the wind will carry you towards the turn point, best thing ever. The opposite occurs with a headwind. Prefer rounding the turn point first and then, in the next leg, stop for tumbling, since the wind will carry you towards the next turn point. Another important aspect is height management. If you are approaching the turn point with a tailwind, make sure to do so in the upper height band. Because once you turn it, you will face the wind and your effective glide ratio will decrease. So be sure to have enough height before turning the turn point. Because otherwise you have to look for thermals down below. Depending on the case, you might not be able to reach the next thermal if you don't have enough height. Always think ahead. That's the key for cross-country flying. For more tips, follow me on Instagram at soaringmaster or check my website, soaringmaster.com.
1: If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure, here on Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton, co producer Mitch Thompson. Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez.